Friends, last week we kicked off a brand new sermon series called Consumed. And during this series, we'll be talking about what it looks like for the entirety of our lives to be consumed by worshiping God. Last week, we talked about what this means by looking at how Paul defines good worship. Paul says that good worship is not about the music or the sermon. Thanks be to God. Again, that's a lot of pressure. But good worship is when we offer ourselves to God wholeheartedly, when we show up with our full selves. Now, we tend to think of this little one-hour time period of corporate worship as worship. But to worship in the broader sense means to bow down, to kiss, to ascribe worth to something. Whether we are worshiping here together in this room or online or in other places, we are all bowing down to something. We believe that what we worship changes us, whether we're worshiping God or something else. To say it differently, what we consume, whether that's food or things that we buy or media, these things shape and form us. This means that what we do in corporate worship is unique. As a result, we should show up differently to worship than we show up to anything else in our lives. The idea that what we consume shapes and forms us, though, is not simply a Christian reality. In fact, if you've ever been on the internet or been the subject of some kind of advertising, then you might have learned that any good ad is telling you that if you can simply consume their product, then life change is possible. Advertisers know that when that what we consume shapes us and forms us. And they also know that if we want to live a life that's more attuned to our values, we are more likely to think that we need to buy their product that tells us that by buying it, we can live more in tune with our values or desires. We can live a more healthier, happier, more organized, maybe even more aesthetic kind of life. Some ads even play on our social or political values, telling us that if we belong to a particular value system, then we must buy their product to be a better participant in that group. Friends, if you are simply alive in the 21st century, then you have very likely been trained to be an excellent consumer. My husband Adam and I recently went on a road trip to Vermont. We were headed up to a friend's wedding, and we got to camp in a lot of incredible places along the way. And altogether, we ended up going through 12 states. And we decided at the beginning of our trip, in part because we really love coffee, and in part because caffeine, I think, is a necessity to any good road trip that we would visit a bunch of coffee shops along the way. And I found this article that ranked the best coffee grocery in each state. So we decided, okay, if it's not too far off route, then we would go to as many coffee shops as we could. Now, when we walked into each coffee shop, we absolutely walked in as consumers. We showed up to evaluate not just how good that coffee was in general, but how good it was based on our taste buds and the kind of coffee that we enjoy. We showed up ready to consume to consume the coffee, the good service, and even the delightful plants that made me feel like it was a perfectly cozy greenhouse that I could just settle in there with a good book and, yes, a delightful cup of coffee. It was absolutely, though, a one-way kind of deal. We were there, ready for the baristas to serve us, and our favorite shop along the way was one that definitely went above and beyond. The barista let us taste the coffee before we bought it. They brewed us a fresh batch. Um, they even had cookies that were flavors that we were super excited about. If you're curious, lemon lavender shortbread, it was incredible. And they gave us free sparkling water so we could drink that alongside our coffee. Which, by the way, it was just probably the best coffee that I've had in years. It was so good. Uh, we took pictures of this cute coffee shop. We used their Wi-Fi. We used their power to charge our laptop while we were there. Again, we were camping. 
Uh, it was an incredible experience. And Adam even went on Google afterwards and left a review about just how great our experience was as a consumer. In a way, you could say that we left changed by that coffee shop. We talked about it the whole rest of our trip. We told friends and family that asked about how our trip was, just how excellent this coffee shop was. We talked about how out of all of the seven shops we went to, this was the one that we loved most. And friends, even though we loved this coffee shop, if the barista or the shop owner had asked us while we were there, like, hey, can you just come do some dishes or maybe brew the next batch of coffee? Then we would have looked at them like, gosh, have you lost your mind? Like, do you understand how this works? Like, that's just, that's not right. Uh, we would have been confused because we showed up assuming that the owners of the shop and the baristas, they were there to serve us. It was not a participatory situation on our part. We were just there to consume. And friends, I share all of that to say that I think sometimes when we show up to church, because we have been so well-trained to be consumers, we accidentally show up like Adam and I did to that coffee shop. We show up ready to evaluate, ready to have great customer service experience. We show up with a mentality that if we love this thing enough or agree with it enough, then we'll subscribe, aka come to church week after week or listen to sermons, or worship online. Maybe even if we love it the most, we will even tell our friends about this worship experience. And as much as I would love for you to do these things, and as much as it feels good to know when we have created great content or crafted a sermon series that was really interesting and compelling, or sung a song that our worship leaders just crushed, I also believe that nothing, nothing would break my heart more than if our church community was just a community of people that were subscribers who simply are consumers of worship and consumers of content rather than active participants who show up to worship ready to encounter the living God. Now, here's the thing. Because we are so well-trained to be consumers, even though it sounds ridiculous to be consumers of church, I believe that this is our default mode of how we tend to show up unless we are intentional about it. Unless I'm intentional, I may show up here asking the same kinds of questions that I ask when I'm trying to evaluate a new TV show, wondering, was it too long or too short? Was it funny enough? Was it mindless enough that it was entertaining, but not too much so that it kept me up at night? Unless I'm intentional, I might show up ready to consume. To consume the music as an onlooker rather than a participant, to consume the sermon as added information to my kind of Christian bucket, evaluating only whether or not I kind of agree with it without pausing to consider what God might be saying to me specifically. Friends, I wonder how we might show up differently in this place. We show up expecting to encounter the living God. The question that I've been wrestling with this week, and I will also offer it to you, is do I show up ready to consume worship? Or do I show up ready to encounter the living God? As we think about what it might look like to encounter the living God, we are going to turn to the book of Genesis. And we're going to read a little bit more about a man named Jacob who makes a habit of encountering God. Um, we'll be looking at the first of many, many times that scripture tells us about where Jacob encounters God. Uh, before we get there, though, some helpful backstory. You may remember Abraham and Sarah. They have a son named Isaac who marries Rebecca. And together they had twins, Jacob and Esau. Now, Jacob has been on the run because he and his mom, Rebecca, plotted to steal the dying blessing 
that his dad was giving to his brother Esau. Jacob successfully stole the blessing, even after stealing his brother's birthright, but now his brother Esau is furious and wants to kill him. Kind of understandably so. Uh, so his mom says, hey, Jacob, like, I love you. I do not want to lose you. So you've got to go. You just need to run far from here for a while until your brother is less mad. So Jacob heads to his uncle Laban's house. And while Jacob is on the run, we hear that he comes to a certain place after a long day of travel. Somewhere between home and his uncle's house, Jacob encounters God in a dream. Now we'll pick up the story in Genesis chapter 28, verse 11. It says, Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And Jacob dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth and the top of it reaching up to heaven and the angels and God were ascending and descending on it. Now, if you've heard the hymn, We're Climbing Jacob's Ladder, this is the ladder that they're talking about. Now, as we read this next bit of scripture, it might be helpful to remember that at this point, Jacob had no land. He's running away from home into an uncertain future. In the midst of this limbo season, the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, I'm the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. And the land on which you lie, will, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And all of the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Uh, let's just pause to see the significance of this dream. Not only is God telling Jacob that he will live and survive his brother coming after him, but that he will have lots of descendants. He will basically be the one who carries on the promise that God made to Abraham and Isaac. So let's keep reading to see how Jacob responds after hearing this news. It says, Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Now, just to be clear, when Jacob says, how awesome is this place? And declares this place to be the house of God, the gate of heaven. The place that Jacob is talking about is a place where he had just slept in the middle of nowhere, where he didn't even have a pillow. So he had to use a rock for his head to sleep on. Friends, this is the place that Jacob says, this is the gate of heaven. It was not a cozy accommodation that made Jacob make this declaration. Rather, it was the unexpected presence of God in a place of desperation that made Jacob declare, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. It's that same rock that it, he had just used as a pillow that he used to mark this place. A scripture goes on to say, Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had had under his head and set it up for a pillow pillar and poured out oil on the top of it. And he called this place Bethel. The city um, used to be named Luz first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I will go and give me bread and to eat and clothes to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, this stone shall be God's house and all that you will give me, I will surely give you one tenth. Friends, if you know the rest of the story, you may know that after Jacob made this vow of commitment to God that he'd been coming, that he'd come back to this stone and it would be God's house. And after he did so, he continued on to his uncle Laban's house and worked for two tumultuous decades before Jacob returned back to this certain place. 
the certain place that God had promised him. When Jacob did return back, though, he returned different. He returned with wives and his children, including his 12 sons that go on to become known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Jacob goes on many times to encounter God. Uh, We see him set up many pillars in different places. That doused with oil, they serve as reminders of these encounters with God. Jacob even goes on to have a very physical encounter with God. The night before, he sees his brother Esau again for the first time since 20 years ago when he fled before. And in this physical encounter, Jacob wrestles with God and leaves with both a blessing and a new name, Israel. And I have to believe that somehow this first encounter with God is what propelled Jacob to show up in the way that he did throughout his life, encountering the living God. I go back to the words Jacob said the moment that he woke up. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. As much as I wish that I was regularly aware of God's presence in every moment, I too often find myself saying these words that Jacob said. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Friends, how we show up matters. How we show up suggests what we are expecting to find. And how we show up might just change the extent to which we allow our encounter with God to change us. If I had to guess, if there is anywhere in our lives that we show up expectant to encounter God, then it's probably here when we come to worship. And if that's true, if here is the place that we most likely are to believe that we will encounter God, then I think it might be helpful this morning for us to evaluate how we show up here. Because I believe, as we talked about before, unless we are intentional, we are bound to show up here in the same way that we show up to the rest of our lives. Let's consider for a second how we showed up when we came to worship this morning, whether you are here in person or worshiping online or somewhere in between. Did you show up like Jacob did to God in the wilderness? Did you show up to worship worried or angry, maybe even uncertain about your future? Do you show up with only a rock to cling to because you're in a season of transition and all the people that you once could cling to are back home and you find yourself in this new place? Did you show up like Jacob running from the consequences of your own actions? Now, in light of whatever it is that is stirring in you, I wonder if you showed up to worship expectant to encounter a living God. Who doesn't just see you, but a God who has the power to shift realities? Friends, did you show up this morning ready to be changed? Did you show up ready to encounter our God who is as vast as the sea and yet calls us by name? Did you show up longing for healing in the places of your life that so desperately need wholeness and peace? Did you show up this morning ready to wholeheartedly live a life transformed by the all-consuming love of God? If I had to guess, I'd imagine that for many of us, the questions that I just named might feel a little bit daunting. And yet I'm mindful that these kinds of questions might just be the most important questions that we ask whenever we come to show up to worship our God. Going back to the coffee shop example from before, I think it can be tempting to think that it's the job of our pastors, our staff, our worship leaders to provide good worship. However, worship is not a service provided by one person for another. Our praise team did a beautiful job leading us into a posture of worship, helping us center our hearts on God a moment ago. And yet, no matter how beautiful the singing was, we could still show up and not encounter God this morning. Uh, Particularly, if you grew up in church, uh, you might be familiar with this word named liturgy. Now, liturgy is a word we often use to describe the order or the flow of worship. But at its root, the word liturgy means the work of the people. 
Again, because worship at its best is the work of the people, the work of each and every one of us, bringing our full selves to worship, expectant to encounter the living God. Throughout the series, our challenge to one another is to not show up to worship to consume it, or to get a product, uh, but to show up to be consumed, consumed by the Holy Spirit, ready to encounter the living God in the midst of our everyday ordinary lives. Friends, I believe that too often I show up asking too little of God, not expectant enough that God can use ordinary things like rocks to remind me of God's presence and power in the hardest of places. So friends, might we remember, no matter who we are, no matter what we're going through, we too can come to this place knowing that surely, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. So again, expectant to encounter the living God and invite us to pray together this morning. Let's pray. Holy God, you are a God that meets us in threshold places where what has been is no longer true and what will be has not yet fully revealed itself. You meet us in these places where we no longer know where to go, where to turn, such that we find ourselves in liminal spaces of in-between, sometimes where only we have rocks for our head to lay down at night to use as a pillow. Yet God, in the midst of those places, you remind us of your nearness, that you are not a God that is far away, a God that has left us because we are in a liminal space. But you are a God who reminds us that no matter where we are, whether we are at home or in a faraway place, that you are a God who we can encounter no matter where we are. You're a God that reminds us that you will do what you have said you will do. You're a God that we can look to in the past to remember what you have done, that we can look to rocks doused in oil that remind us that you have been near to us in the past. And so what has been true can also be true for the future. We ask this morning that you would remind us that no matter where we are, we can show up expectant to encounter a living God. Amen. Well, it's been great to worship with you together during this time. Uh, we'd love to invite you to come and join us for worship in person or online, live on Sunday mornings or throughout the week. You can find more information about our worship times or worship with us online at FBUMC. Dot org. And while you're there, uh, you can find plenty of ways to connect with us, uh, whether that's uh, connecting in sort of an opportunity for community around here or serving the greater Fuquay community around us. Uh, so we'd love to invite you to join us for those. Uh, if this is a resource that provides you spiritual sustenance and you'd like to partner with us in making it possible for everyone else, while you're there, at the top right-hand corner, there's a button that says give, or you can go to feumc.org slash give and make a gift there that makes the mission and ministry of this place possible. We're so thankful for everyone who partners with us uh, to do just that. Listen, it's been great. It's been great to be together with you uh, in this moment. And we look forward to worshiping again with you real soon. We'll see you then.